Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias at work through conversation. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I come back to a topic that I first covered a year or so ago with Mona Sabe, and this is the Me Too redemption question. It's been almost a year. It might be a year by the time this gets released since the resurgence of the Me Too issues. Recently, there's been more discussion about Me Too, in particular, Me Too redemption, and when has enough time passed for someone to come back? I've spent some time looking at different articles and uh, perspectives on this topic, but I felt like it was time to come back to this question because the the topic of redemption, I haven't really heard being discussed fully. There's certainly plenty of discussion around Me Too situations and questions about when is it time to come back, but I think hidden among those topics and not really rising to the level of public discourse is what does it take for someone who abused or harassed or um, mistreated women professionally, personally, what, what does it take for them to come back and be a contributing member of society, one that we can trust, one that we know has changed? And so I'll explore that a little bit today. For those of you who are new to Unraveling Pink or have not listened since I came back from the summer hiatus. I am tackling topics now in three parts. The first part being why I'm hopeful about that particular topic. The second part being a deeper dive into that topic. And the third part being either a challenge or a conversation starter or both. So something that you can take into the week to put into practice to try to move us towards gender equality. Here's why I'm hopeful that we will find a path towards Me Too redemption. I have to say it was really hard to come up with something (laughs) on the there's hope part. There's plenty on the meat of this and on the challenging side, but I really struggled. I wanted to talk about this topic and I also wanted to stick to my new format and that forced me to really think hard about what what is the silver lining today that I can find on the Me Too topic. This is the best I could do. Recently at the funeral of Aretha Franklin, Ariana Grande sang and, and afterwards a pastor, I don't even know his name, I don't really want to give him any press, (laughs) but a pastor who was presiding over the funeral sort of hugged Ariana Grande, and in doing so, pretty clearly touched her breast, and it seemed to linger, and it felt really uncomfortable to watch. Added to that was behind her, Bill Clinton pretty much looking her up and down. So these two things happen. This is not why I have hope. This is why we still need to have this conversation. But what gave me hope is the immediate backlash that happened that day. Twitter, the internet exploded around this incident. 
And what struck me and gave me hope was that there were discussions from the female perspective of what it's like to be standing in Ariana's shoes at that moment, reading the reaction on her face, reading the body language, seeing what's going on, and just feeling the shame and frustration and the inability to call it out right then, not that she was unable to uh, in, in a theoretical sense, but there's, there's a, a mental calculus that goes on in the head of women or, or anyone who is um, mistreated in front of others of whether I should say something, whether I should call attention to it, what does that do to everyone around me here at a funeral? It would be practically impossible for someone to say, hey, don't grab my breast on national television in front of all of these people when the focus should have been on Aretha Franklin. And the fact that this discussion came out, I think was really important But what gave me hope about this was that women were sharing the inner monologue that we have so often when we are the subject of a Me Too type action. So it gives me hope that we're able to talk about it. And I'm hoping that through this episode, we can tee up a few more things to talk about on the question of Me Too redemption. So let's dive into today's topic, which is Me Too Redemption. As I mentioned, I started talking about this topic with a guest last year, Mona Sabay, and we both agreed that there should be some path to redemption, but we didn't have all the answers then. I still don't have all the answers, but I have a few more suggestions today than I did back then. It's important we start talking about this because what we're starting to see is men who have been accused of Me Too incidents coming back and thinking that's okay. And we're seeing a public reaction that might make them believe that that's true. So, for example, Louis C.K. coming back to a comedy club and doing 15 minutes of comedy to a standing ovation. That raised some questions that women in comedy raised. Kathy Griffith is one who was very vocal about this, but others shared their perspectives as well, that this was too soon, not just from a time standpoint so much, but that he hadn't done anything to redeem himself. He hadn't shown that he'd grown, that he'd changed, that he fully understood that there was a problem and that he's done something to make sure that that problem doesn't happen again. We've also seen stories that Matt Matt Lauer, for example, is planning to re-enter the public sphere, potential comebacks for Charlie Rose, Mario Batali. All of this shows that men who have fallen from grace in the Me Too movement are assuming that it's just a matter of time and then they can come back. This has a number of problems. It suggests that Rich, powerful men can harm women, disappear for a few months on a little vacation that they have no problem paying for, and come back and pick up where they left off. That there's no real punishment or suffering for their actions, no real acknowledgement of the harm that they caused, 
and no indication that they've changed in some way that would make us want to work with them again. I mean, if we think about this from the survivor's perspective or from the perspective of women, if the man was accused of a, a Me Too incident against a woman, there should be some reason that women would feel comfortable working for that man again and not have to suffer the same conduct that was imposed on the women who who went through the Me Too moments with these guys before. So we've had almost a year to hear some of these stories. We've not heard them all. There's so many more that haven't come out. We've seen a backlash of people feeling like, oh, we're ruining these guys' careers, really without regard for the women whose careers were destroyed in some cases by the actions of these men. We've had these discussions, we've gone around in these circles, it doesn't feel like we have really come to any solutions. This is a very deep societal problem that we have, and until we solve it, we need to look more on the micro level at particular actions. But I think we need not just a redemption path for the outstanding cases of Me Too harassment that we have already experienced, but a more macro reflection on what as a society has caused us to be in this place. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what could redemption look like for men who have been accused of Me Too incidents. And um, there are a lot of really good suggestions out there on the internet too, a lot of different perspectives on that. What I wanted to do was to suggest a potential path. I think sometimes it's easier to poke holes in something that exists. It's easier to edit than to create from whole cloth. And so I wanted to put out some thoughts. You might agree with some of them. You might disagree with others. You might disagree with everything. But I think it's important that we start having this conversation so that we as a society can heal Women can be given the respect that they deserve, and men who truly have gone down a path of redemption should be reunited with society in a constructive way. So here are my thoughts. For those who have been accused of Me Too incidents, I think there is a five-step path to redemption. The first step would be some acknowledgement by the perpetrators of the breadth, depth, and impact that their actions had on the survivors of their actions. And I think this acknowledgement would need to be as widespread, as public, as their platform at the time this came to light. That acknowledgement, I think, should include accountability, some aspect of making amends, a reflection of some introspection, and some humility. There was a really insightful post by Shauna Thomas on popsugar.com, a personal essay entitled Men Making Me Too Comebacks. I encourage you to read it. Um, You can find it on the Pop Sugar website. One thing she said that I thought was particularly insightful here was, quote, If a survivor has lost a career opportunity, money, standing, dignity, or privacy, 
has had their physical or mental health damaged or is suffering in any way as a result of the abuse, a perpetrator who is asking, how can I come back? Rather than, how can I make amends and prevent future abuse? Cannot be considered rehabilitated. Unquote. I think this is so true that the, it, it's this shift in perspective that what we're seeing right now, and I think the reason it's causing this backlash reaction, this visceral reaction on the part of women is that these men are saying, how can I come back? When can I come back? When can I just get back to life as, as it was my normal, my normal profession? But they're not focused. They're not centered on the people that they harmed. And the people that they harmed don't get to ask that question. They're trying to come out of the psychological, if not physical, uh, harm that they suffered and rebuild their lives and maybe rebuild their careers. Many of them have left their careers, have left jobs. They don't get to ask that same question. So I think this is a really great way to frame that men should not be focused on how they can come back or how quickly they can come back, but how can they correct the actions? How can they make it right? How can they make amends? And then it will naturally happen. It, it, people will be more open to men coming back after they have taken some actions to show they understand the, the depth and breadth of, of the pain that they've caused. Step two, I think, should be speaking out about sexual harassment, assault, discrimination, um, to audiences as broad as the platform of the perpetrator. Now, this, I suspect, will be a little controversial, but what I would like to hear from these men is, what is it that made them think that what they were doing was acceptable? And I'm not asking this as a justification for their actions. I'm asking this because I think we need to understand that as a society. What is it from the male perspective that makes them think they can touch women or attack women or verbally abuse women or whatever the action might be? Help us understand what goes through your mind or what societal structures and processes and norms make you think that that's okay. Because until we have a conversation about that and have an honest one and listen to each other, I think it makes it really hard to change that. And ultimately, I think when, when people speak about this in step two, we need to look at what we can do to turn that around. So the perpetrators speaking out about this should be finding a way to be a part of the solution rather than just looking at how quickly and how to get back to their past role. Step three, I think there should be some sort of public service that is carried out by the perpetrators of Me Too incidents to advance the specific women that they affected as well as women generally in their industry. They should be using the influence they have to help the women around them. And they have this influence, and we know this because their actions were tolerated, were covered up, were accepted. And so to have that kind of influence when everyone probably knew it was wrong means that you can make things happen for people. So use that influence to help the people that you had hurt. 
Step four, I do think there should be some number of hours or months or years or actions before perpetrators can be allowed to go back to work. This may not be a specific number. It might be a blend of time and actions. I do think it should be adjusted according to the severity of the action that occurred. But this to me is proof of some evolution as a human. That between the accusation of the Me Too action to coming back into your professional life, there should be some reason for people to see and believe that you have changed, that you have evolved, that you aren't just being slotted back into a position where you're permitted to cause the same harm you caused before, where people surrounding you are worried about their safety. So I do think that there needs to be some quantifiable time period slash actions taken to show that this person has evolved and can come back to work. And finally, step five, I believe there should be some financial contribution in the form of restitution to the survivors of their abuse, perhaps to make up for lost wages and opportunities for those who lost their jobs or, or didn't get promotions that they would have otherwise had, or to the legal defense funds of women affected by harassment and discrimination. This, I'm sure, will be much more controversial, but... One of the frustrations of these actions is that men continue to succeed and get promoted and move up the ladder and make more money. And all of that snowballs into great success for these men, whereas the women affected lose jobs, miss promotions, make less money, leave the industry, have all of this negative financial impact that should balance out in some way. So maybe there's a better way to do it, but I do think there should be some financial contribution of some sort. So now I'd like to turn to what we can do as a society, because this is a problem that impacts many, many women and many boys and young men, and it should be unacceptable to everyone in our society. It causes horrible harm to people. It just is humiliating and demoralizing and shameful and we all own our parts in creating the society that we live in which has enabled this to occur. So I have a few steps that I think we could take as a society to work on improving things and reducing Me Too incidents in the future. First, I think we need to do some societal introspection. We all need to take a look at what we've done, what we've created, how we've enabled this to happen. I think the first type of introspection should be really recognizing the impact that our collective acceptance of the mistreatment of women has had and all the hidden harm that no one hears about. Well, no one outside the circle of women who talk about it quite often. But the hidden harm I'm referring to are, is all the women who have had to leave jobs to avoid misconduct, who set the, their careers back, who just sucked it up and went into work and suffered through it all because they couldn't afford to lose their jobs. This hidden harm does not get talked about much beyond circles of women. And I think we need to have a larger conversation about that and do some collective introspection about why we think that's okay. 
Second, I think we need to evaluate how we got here. How do we get to this point where men thought this was okay, others covered it up, people didn't believe women, and survivors were blamed? That's so backwards to where we should be as a society. I think it's a pretty deep-seated problem that we don't spend enough time thinking about, and until we do, I don't think we have a chance of solving it. So we need to really take a close, difficult look at how we got here. Next, I think we have to determine how we can evolve into a better, safer society for women. We need to solve these problems as a society and within all of our institutions, whether it's our workplaces, our churches, our communities. We need a parallel action that helps us all evolve into a better place. One possibility would be a code of conduct. It seems like a lot of what would be in that code of conduct would be common sense, but common sense alone is not doing the job for us. So maybe we need to codify basic respect for each other and the boundaries of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable when it comes to women's bodies. So once we've done that kind of introspection and perhaps created a code of conduct, I think there are a few more steps that we need to take. I think we need more education. That needs to go back to probably middle school, if not before, of of better educating boys and girls about how to treat each other and cutting off any direction that leads to boys thinking it's acceptable to harm girls. They shouldn't be harming each other either. In addition to education at school, we should have education at work in all the various industries, professional training. In California, we have training about how to avoid sexual harassment and discrimination. We do that every couple of years. We should have this kind of training as well. It's important enough that people should be reminded of what kind of conduct is inappropriate, not just in the workplace, but in society as a whole. Another step that I've seen advocated a lot in different writings that is so critical is that we recenter our focus on the harm suffered by survivors rather than focusing on the perpetrators. It seems today that really the only time we're talking about the survivors is when we're questioning whether they're telling the truth or not. We're not accepting the harm that's so clearly experienced by so many of them. And instead, it's like we're so worried about the perpetrators losing their job or being harmed and, and being publicly shamed that we forget about all of the harm that preceded that accusation. And we need to bring it back to that and recenter on the survivors who are the ones who suffered in these incidences. It's not the public nature of the incident that is the harm. It's the fact that the incident, that the action happened and the person who survived that action should be where we center our attention. I think we need to also have a clear defined redemption process. I've offered some suggestions in this podcast of ways we can do that both from the perspective of the perpetrator and from the perspective of society. I do think that different actions have different levels of severity so just as we have in the criminal justice system We can have different levels of atonement or accountability and amends. But after that happens, after we have a process, I think there's another step 
that we need to make sure we think about. And that is when proper steps towards redemption are taken, we need to have the grace and mercy as a society, and particularly women, I think this is hard, we need to have the grace and mercy to allow them back in, back into their professions if that's where they want to be, back into society, back contributing in a positive way, just like when someone who committed a crime goes to jail and serves their time. Here, if depending on the severity, it might actually be jail time, or if it's more in the gray zone, something less. But once the societally accepted redemption steps are taken, I believe we need to give those people the grace and mercy to come back into society and treat them as if, maybe not a blank slate, but they've served their time, let's give them a chance. Ultimately, we need to get to a safer world for women, and these are steps that I hope can get us there. It's not an easy path at all, but I hope that we have more of a conversation about this because I'm not hearing that in day-to-day life. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that people are worried about, but this is something that affects many, many people in our society, and we need to move this forward in a way that's constructive. So for this week's challenge or conversation starter, I have both. And this was pretty tough to come up with, and these are really challenging. I hope you undertake one or more of these, and I would love to hear how it goes. So on the challenge front, I have a challenge for men and I have a challenge for women. For men, I would ask you to think about what signals our society gives you that makes it seem acceptable for you or for others to touch women without their permission. And then I would ask you to think about how can we turn that around? What can we do in our communities to make it clear that that's not okay? For women, I would ask you to remember that we have a voice to help turn this around. We've brought this issue to the attention of the world, which is the first step. We needed to do that, and we're still doing it, which is great. But we also need to talk about a path forward that works for everybody. So I would encourage you to talk with each other and also talk with men about what process would make you feel like redemption has been earned. What are those actual steps that would need to be taken? Let's have conversations about this and find a path through that would work for us as well. As a conversation starter, this is a pretty tough one. I'll give you some words. You can adjust it to whatever works for you, but I hope you start a conversation about this. Here's some language you could try. So it's been about a year since the Me Too allegations heated up in 2017. I'm curious, have you seen anything change over that time? And what do you think we could do better as a society to reduce the number of Me Too actions. And then just listen. Try to listen with an open mind, which sometimes is hard in this topic. It gets very emotional. But the only way we're going to find a path forward that works for everyone and actually reduces the number of Me Too actions is if we have conversations together about what we can do as a society. So I hope you take on that challenge. I hope you 
have constructive conversations with people and feel good about where this topic is going. And hopefully, <laughs> the next time I talk about Me Too Redemption, I will have an easier time finding a reason to hope for gender equality. Thank you all for listening. Please go have a conversation with someone about gender this week, in particular about Me Too Redemption, and let me know how it goes. As always, let me know what you think about the new format or the content. I'd love to share your comments or build future episodes around the topics of interest to you. You can email me at unravelingpink at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at unravelingpink. If you enjoy Unraveling Pink, please rate it or review it on your listening platform. It won't take too long, I promise. Together, we can start a conversation. 